Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, today we're talking about Rojo, uh, which is uh, Spanish for red. It's an Argentinian film. Yes. Set in 1975. It's written and directed by a director called Benjamin Neistat. Uh-huh. Um, apologies for the pronunciation, but it doesn't strike me as a, as a Spanish name exactly. But, well, um, there's a large Jewish community in Argentina and that sounds like a Jewish name. It does. Um He's um, he's quite young. I think he's about my age. I think he's thirty-three. Better hurry up, baby. <laughs> well, to be honest, if I make films as boring as this, then oh, you didn't like it? No, it literally bored my ass off. Literally. <laughs> 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 um, I I. I think it's a film that you need to know a little bit about Argentina for it to work. You certainly do, and I know very little. Yeah, um, so which is a fault with the film, actually. Uh, but nonetheless, I found it. I found it very fascinating. Actually, I was thinking, you know, when on the drive back home, I kind of, you know, I kept thinking about it because, I, you know, I kept wondering. I should have. I thought I was paying attention at the beginning. But, you know, before you know the characters, who the characters are and so on, mm. you don't really. So I was trying to make sense of, you know, because the film begins with this house. Yeah. And somebody walks out of the house and then somebody walks into the house and walks out of the house. And I was trying to remember if there was a connection between that. And, you know, at the end of the film, the protagonist, who... Um, is is that Dario Grandinetti, who's this very famous uh, Argentinian actor, uh, puts a wig on. Yeah, mm. so he's been, you know, he's been like bald, pretty much bald headed, natural hair yeah. throughout the film, and then puts a wig on. And I couldn't make sense of that. I didn't understand what the wig was about. And then I was wondering, is he with this wig on one of the guys that left the house, or? I think. Uh, that opening shot, I mean, it has it has a feeling of like a Hanukkah kind of shot where you don't know exactly what you're supposed to be looking at uh-huh. in a way. Um, and it is it is this it's just this nice little suburban house, um, and seemingly kind of nice, well-to-do people are going in and out taking stuff. Mm. Um, so you go, what's going on here? And I think I don't remember exactly that he is one of the people who goes into the house. Okay, you see that? I think he goes in and comes out, and then he goes back in, I think. But it's, I'm. Okay. But I mean, that is the very first the house, of the film. So. The house is important because. So basically, the house is a symbol for all that's wrong in Argentina in that period, and which is about to get a lot worse. Um, and actually, I think it is something that should resonate with us now. Uh, um, because what happens is these are people who have disappeared. Right? So basically kind of, you know, people say, oh, they're on a trip or something, but actually they have just been disappeared. Uh, And so, and then basically they're disappeared. And so people begin to take the spoils. So these people who had once been their nice neighbors are all of a sudden taking their furniture and their thing. And then, you know, one of the big plot points in the film is pretending that they're selling the house so actually that they can actually make money out of somebody else's property. And to me, that resonated very much with Nazi Germany's, you know. Collaborators. Yeah, but also, 
you know, that kind of you've lived with people all your life and you like them and all of a sudden they're made to disappear by the government or whatever and, the, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing people do is loot the house, steal the paintings, yeah, right, and then yeah. take possession of the house, right? So it is about about nice people collaborating and kind of and letting things go. Yeah, kind of these are major things. People keep disappearing uh, uh, in the film, yeah, at kind of a teenager... You know, even a magician who works in a nightclub makes people disappear. And this is actually before the military really comes in in 78, before people start getting shot. Yeah, this is right. 1975. Yeah. So this is prior to the military uh, junta yes. that took control. Yes, I think it's 78. Um, I'm not too sure of the history. But it's, yeah. It's... But this, this film was certainly prior to that because there's talk of, you know, right at the end of the film, there's talk of, I hear the coup's going to start tomorrow. Or yes, so, exactly. You know? So this is definitely before that happens. That's right. Um, so, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of talk of, oh, Argentina and... You know, aren't we great in a blessed land? And, you know, all, all people want is peace and quiet and to live their lives. And it's true, right? The, the film shows that. But it also shows, you know, the small scale letting things go, small acts of violence, right? Uh, people trying to profit mm. out of other people's misery. Uh, and it's all done in a very kind of low-key way, yeah? So it's kind of like cumulative, uh, which I liked very much. I mean, I think actually, you know, the film is very is, is very beautifully structured and it's really evocative. I mean, personally, I felt it really evoked that period for me because a lot of um, the soundtrack are like, uh, you know, pop hits of, of the period, which are really just kind of uh, love songs. Uh, the ones I recognized are um, Do You Want to Be My Lover? Yeah, Quiero Ser Tu Amante, Camilo Sesto. Uh, which was obviously kind of very big uh, in Spain. So in a way, they're anodyne, right? And there's a whole section about, you know, kind of these two teenagers who are in love and, they, you know, they're, they're going through those things. He wants to make out, she doesn't. But, you know, that one little thing makes it, turns it into extreme violence, right? And it's partly to do with the culture, with the machismo, the control, you know. I mean, the whole opening sequence which is all about manners, and which I thought, actually, that the lawyer was very patient, right? And kind of and very polite. Mm. You know, this guy wants to take his seat. So the, the, you, one of the main key scenes in the, in the film is the lawyer sitting in a restaurant. This very impatient, pushy man, you know, comes and tells him off because he's taking too long to order. The restaurant is full, there are no tables, and really, if he's not going to be quick and order, you know, he should get out, right? And give him the, the place. So the man does the lawyer does end up giving him the place in a very polite way, you know, but then tells him off and says something like, you're very badly educated, you know, and kind of you're always going to have trouble and you're always going to have violence because, you know, that's, you're too old to change now and that's kind of... And, you're going, and he says something like, you're going to watch people getting on with each other and you're not going to be able to take part in it. Yes. Which is, and he really humiliates him in front of the restaurant and everyone stops and listens. Yes. Well, you see... And clearly this lawyer is also a figure in the town. Everybody knows who he is. Yes. So everyone here knows. Well, you see, later on, when the de the detective who's... Because this is also structured as a murder mystery. So uh, later on, when the detective says that, you, humi you humiliated him in, in public, don't you think people heard? I actually myself didn't, didn't see it as a humiliation. You know, kind of, I saw it as an answering back. I mean, you know, this this idiot, 
has just displaced him, caused a ruckus in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. He's given up the seat and the guy still won't shut up. So, you know, I think almost like honor or just, you know, it requires some kind of response. And he responded in a very even tone of voice and very rational and so on. So I didn't see it as a humiliation, though. It's definitely fair enough that I think he gives a response yes. to the guy. But, um, I mean, he really does sort of pick him apart as a person in what he says. You know, well, which could be seen as, as a humiliation. Rightly, as, well, I thought rightly so. But, yeah. You know, kind of. Um, and well, then, I mean, if it's a humiliation, it's a justified humiliation. Yeah. Because the other guy tried to humiliate him, get him to stand up and bugger off. Yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying it's unjust, but it is still. You know, right. Okay. I yeah. I you know when the guy said it, it made me think about it. But I I yeah. I personally didn't experience it that way when watching it. You know, I thought the guy was being very polite and very controlled, but well, telling him way, off, you know. Put, I put it this way. I was with the the, the lawyer yes, when he was too. saying all of that. Um, and, and it's a wonderful little monologue that he gives. Mm. Um, but then the guy, you know, when he starts to stew in his seat after hearing all this and then explodes and starts calling everybody Nazis, mm. like I got him too, Yeah, you know. Oh, I didn't get him, uh, I must say. And then afterwards, the, the other bits I did get because, so I did... So I suppose I did get that he must have been humiliated in some sense because when he came back and through so so then the the lawyer and his wife go in their car to go home and the guy returns in the dark and throws rocks at their car right and then the lawyer goes to chase after him and he brings out a gun the yeah. the, the guy this is not the lawyer the other yeah, guy brings out a gun the hippie yeah uh, uh, and then he ends up shooting himself and then what is very interesting there is that the lawyer takes him to the doctors, but then decides, well, the doctor can't do anything for him and says he's going to take him to a hospital. But instead of taking him to a hospital, he takes him to the desert to die. Yeah, and leaves him there. And leaves him there to die, right? Which is the film's first act of disappearance. Yeah, exactly. So so the doctor, who's all, you know, who's all this manners, good manners, an upright citizen, and so on, is willing to let someone die so that his own reputation and so on remains untarnished, mm. right? So, you know, I think the film was so interesting, the way that it begins to layer on kind of these things and these ambiguities and things that help make you understand why the events that happened later happened, yeah? And the thing is that that act at the start of the film doesn't return for a long time. Yes. So you skip then to three months in uh, in the future, and this has basically been forgotten. Mm. But of course, as the audience, you're not forgetting this. It's, yeah. There you go. This has got to come back at some point, you know. Yes. But it really doesn't for a very long time, to the point where you're going, I wonder if it's just going to sort of really not be answered. Mm. But eventually, a detective gets involved, and mm. you, you know this all becomes active in the in the third act of the film. Um, and it's kind of like um, it's because it's all it's always been sitting there. And everything else has this has this this theme and motif of disappearance of people mm. all around, as you say. The thing with the magician, you know, it's it's of yeah, it's very particularly chosen that the trick he's doing isn't sawing a woman in half; mm. it's disappearing a woman in a box, and then he disappears her, and then she doesn't come back, and mm. they have to search for her to find mm. her, you know, pretending the trick's gone sort of wrong. Um, but it's like an extra level of disappearance in that trick where she can't mm. come back straight away. Mm. And you don't, you don't even see her come back the way it's shot. No. She comes back off screen. Yeah. You know, and then, then you, you do see her again. But um, so it's kind of like, um, it's, 
I don't know how to describe it. Like it's always there, sitting in your head. Yeah. That, that this is behind, and it's it has that kind of bourgeois sort of. Um, I mean, would you describe it as a satire? No, I don't. I mean, I just I would describe it as an allegory. Like it is about those that period in history, you know, and kind of trying to understand why what happened happened, right? And you know, and what happened is that this very rich country. I mean, it was often called you know, the Canada of uh, uh, South America, right? Right. Very large, very rich, you know. Uh, uh, why, you know, this violence erupted in the late 70s, right? Like, I mean, when I was in Buenos Aires uh, in this summer, it's like Nikki and I, we were, you know, you look at these beautiful buildings and you go, oh my God, isn't this beautiful? Oh, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? And then occasionally you'd look down on the sidewalk and they would have signs like, you know, fifth, this is a school. 15 students were taken out of here in like 1978 and shot. Or, you know, this is a bank, you know, and kind of, you know, 15 people were taken away by the police and uh, were never seen again. Or, mm. yeah, there's kind of all these incidents, really. Uh, uh, so I think this village is meant to be kind of an allegory for the nation, really. Yeah, mm. and kind of asking wh- why did it happen? Yeah, kind of. And I think the film is arguing that there are these, you know, that is kind of the small acts of collaboration, you know, that kind of decent people do things for re- for reasons that they understand. So, you know, on the one hand, they just want a nice, quiet life, but they're letting all of these things slide that create the conditions for other things, you know. And I think there's also a kind of an element on the sexism of the culture, right? Mm. You see a bull being lassoed and there's balls cut off, right? Um, and you always see men in groups, you know, and there are these bonding things of, are we friends, right? With very, like, fascistic definitions of what a friendship involves, right? Mm. Uh, uh, and and then, you know, there's the dance, which kind of, you know, these women are dancing around, and then kind of one of the men abducts her, yeah? Yeah, the dance is these, like, nine or ten girls moving in a circle, and these two guys stalking around the outside, and then they choose one and pick her up and drag her off and it's done it's it's a it's a show that's being done by these kids yeah so it's kind of choreographed so it's not exactly it's not an abduction in the same way that um that these other things are abductions and disappearances yes. but it's a performance of an abduction that's right so so it connects with all these disappearances in the film and abductions but it makes it very explicitly gendered yeah yeah and you know and of course there's the whole incident with a young boy who thinks that his girlfriend you know, might uh, be having an affair with this guy, and then they just abduct his friend, and, ba- and basically he disappears, right? And and it's four guys in a car, so you have this whole thing of how dangerous and kind of perverted male bonding is, right? It's and- also because he, the guy that they're asking, insults the boyfriend. So the boyfriend is not even driving the car, yeah. And he comes up and they and they drive next to him and say, "Is so and so fucking so and so?" And he says, "I don't know." Yes. But he, and then he sort of says, but if they were, there'd be a pretty good reason because you're asking of, me, not even them. Yes, like you haven't got the balls. What kind of a man are you? Exactly. Yeah. And and so when the, the so his mate then drives them off, and it's his mate driving who decides to turn the car around and go back and say, we'll, we'll you know you tell him that we'll give him a lift home. That's right. So it so that guy, the boyfriend, really ha- isn't having a say in any of this. He is kind of he's 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 not a macho figure. He's an angry passive guy 
um, but who causes a lot of damage. So, so I think the film does have something about how certain notions of masculinity or you know, what is involved in being a man and questions of honor and pride and so on are part of what's responsible for this climate, right, in, and the society in which people are just beginning to disappear. I think it's kind of interesting that the these acts of collaboration or, or people kind of doing the occasional bad thing um, don't escalate. Like, it's not like one leads to another leads to another. No, there that are... That would make it... I suppose that would make that would give it a, a satirical edge, but actually, it's, it's much more realistic. People just do a thing, even when it's something as bad as taking this guy who really has no chance of living, but nonetheless taking him out to the desert to die and leaving him there. Um, you know, it, it that is a very bad thing to do, but then it is just it is just left at that for that one character mm. and the other things. You know, so it's that's just saying that he lives with for a long time and then it has to come back. I mean, it's like Chekhov's gun, isn't it? Like, yes. you know. You sort of the, if, you, if you drag a guy to the desert in the first act, yes. he's got to come back he's in the first. Come back. I mean, I think for me, you know, I loved a lot of it, actually. And, and the thing is that it really um, makes you think. You, you, you know, after we finished watching the film, I was, I was going over in my head. And there were many things that I, I... So I really... There were many things that I loved. Actually, I love the camera work. You know, yeah, um, it has a real seventies feel in the zooms. Yes, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, it so evokes. I mean, actually, it feels like it could come from, from directly the that era. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The zooms are fantastic. Also, you know, there's a there's a beautiful shot where Dario Grandinetti is looking through one of those windows that mm. yeah that are like uh, have that glass. Yeah, it's like, it's not frosted, but it's obscured and it, it segments his face into these blocks of color. So yeah. It, so as he moves across. The, the glass it kind of it kind of makes it like a low frame rate thing it's a very interesting effect it has. exactly yeah. yeah so it's like a person who's not who's not fully realized in some way right um, so so I loved all of that some of the shots in the desert were were very beautiful I love Dario Grandinetti who's the lawyer mm. yeah is it Grandinetti or Grandinetti you know uh, yeah, Grandinetti Grandinetti um, actually the first time I saw him, I thought, oh, my God, you know, he's gotten old because he's so beautiful and touching in Almodovar's talk to her. Yeah, he's like, you know, the sensitive guy who writes travel books. And, yeah, mm. I, I don't know if you've seen that film, but... You know me in Almodovar. We have to see that together. It's very beautiful. Uh, and here, you know, the first sight of him is, you know, he looks almost like a stereotype of the Latin guy with a moustache and... You know, yeah. the face is kind of caved in and, you know, he's got this posture. Uh, but then, of course, he speaks and, you know, he's got one of the great voices in cinema, right? It's kind of, it's full of feeling and expressive and, you know, it's quite deep without being um, the most salient thing about it. So it's not deep the way that uh, Richard Burton's voice is, mm. yeah. But it is, you know, it, it is, uh, a, a, yeah, a, a baritone voice. Uh, and it's very expressive and also very smooth and quiet, yeah? Mm. It's kind of, you know, it's very soft-spoken. Uh, so um, I thought he was fantastic uh, in the film. The person that I don't like, but then I never like, is Alfredo Castro, who played the detective, mm. right? I've seen him in all of um, 
This is Pablo Trapero, the director. Uh, let me just quickly look it up. So, uh, yes, I've seen him in Tony Manero, Postmortem, No. Yeah, that's that's all that uh, I've seen him. And actually, in things like Tony Manero, he's kind of he's meant to be slightly creepy and weird, and you know, and also in in postmortem, right? So he's got an air of somebody I don't know, slightly pervy, or yeah, mm. kind of you know, some kind of somebody who maybe wanks in a bush or <laughs> something, you know, <laughs> in public. Like he, yeah, he's got that air about him. Um, and and he brings that to this film. Uh, you know, he's in church and he's he's praying for God to save him from his perversions. But you're never told what those perversions are. Um, but there's just something... I'm not sure why I didn't like that performance. Right? I don't... Yeah, but I Well, but what I he don't. brings at the end is a kind of biblical... Well, I don't... I mean, biblical f- theatrics... Maybe um, it's when he gets uh, the lawyer out to the desert and he confronts him and says, "I know you did this." Although, although as it turns out, he doesn't know um, that the guy shot himself. He says, "Well, that may be true." Yes. You know? um, but he's certainly tied the lawyer to the death of, of the hippie, um, and he and then he starts talking about God and this land that we're in, and then he puts his head to his chest, and I don't really um, and cries. I don't really follow it. Well, you know, I mean, he's he's basically saying this is such a beautiful country, blah 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 blah, blah you know. But it's now without without God and without law, mm. you know. And I mean, you know, <laughs> Argentina is quite a religious country. Oh well, sure, yeah. right? Um, I mean, again, when we were visiting there, you had processions on the street, right? People carrying saints and kneeling on the ground and praying. It surprised me. I didn't realize that Argentina was so religious. Um, so so I suppose, you know, kind of it's it's speaking to a national audience. But, you know, for myself, who God doesn't occupy very any place in my life, actually, um, it felt a bit weird. But I suppose, you know, the, the argument is that there's no morality, you know, mm. and, and there's no law. People aren't obeying the law in any way, even very decent people. And lawyers were supposed to be upholders of the law. Is know? it important that he's Chilean, you think? And he's int- and it's not just he's a Chilean actor. The detective he plays is Chilean. Yes. Um. Uh, I think it is important because it's an outer- outsider's perspective in uh, um, into kind of uh, what's going on. Uh, and also he breaks through their delusions. So he says something like, you know, how could you imagine that nobody would know in a small town like this you had an argument with this guy in a, in a restaurant full of people and that there were two gunshots and that nobody heard them. yeah mm-hmm. like the whole point is that it is a small town everybody knows right yeah. you know so I, I thought those things were very interesting so for example when they go to the house to check it out and there's already a woman in the garden who's clearly doing the same thing mm-hmm. right you know uh, and so you know did you know the family oh yes they had two blonde kids yeah, so kind of all those questions, well, what happened to those two blonde kids, right? Mm. What happened to this family? I mean, you know, how would you even imagine, like, stealing their house yeah. of people you knew? Yeah, like, I, I really found it very interesting. She said she didn't know the parents. Yes. That's what she, she says, or at least that's what she claims. Yeah, 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 that's what um, she says. Um, mm. So, so... and What do you make of the Americans? 
the American aspect. There's there's this thing about the American cowboys. It's a troop of three or four guys who are American cowboys and they speak English and everything. And they're on some kind of um, cultural exchange. Cultural exchange, yeah. So they they give a gift of uh, a whip and they receive a gift of a mate set. Yes. Um, and the guy that they they receive this from is a um, what's the uh, I can't remember the word they use um, in. Intervener. That's the word. This guy is an intervener, and he, and he has a kind of, kind of national He's thing going on. It's an interesting thing, because then, after these gifts are exchanged, they go out to do this press conference. Yes, with, that's with, a chilling moment. With the press there, and he's talking about, we exchange these gifts, and isn't it lovely, I've got this whip. And then this um, reporter is asking questions about the kind of breakdown of civil liberties and this yes. sort of thing. And he doesn't want to answer these questions. Yes. And to the point where he says, who, who do you work for? What station do you work for? And what's your name? And that's where the scene ends. ends. But that is chilling. That is chilling. Yeah. Because basically, it's like a Trumpian moment, right? Mm. Where basically, I know your name, I know where you work for, and basically you're going to lose your job and you might get shot for asking me these questions. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, if everyone else is getting disappeared, that guy's getting disappeared. Yeah, so... Um, mm. I, so the thing about the American uh, uh, cowboys is what they tell you is that the previous intendant or superintendent of the region uh, had not done their job properly, yes. right? So, in fact, uh, you imagine that they've been held prisoners or they've been stranded. Yeah, so something that started off as a cultural exchange turned sour, mm. right? Therefore, yeah, kind of, you know, this public making up for it with gifts and so on, yeah? Yeah, and it's been presented as, as a bringing together of our brother brother lands I think is the word the phrase I use although I will give myself the credit of having interpreted that myself because that wasn't the way it was in the English subtitles but I think they say um, like Tierro Hermanos yes I mean so so and I think that also alludes I'm not you know because I think this military coup was also uh, financed Spons- by the uh, by the, Americans. By the US wasn't it Kissinger, yeah, I think exactly so I think you know the film has those those resonances. Mm. I mean, even for someone who knows as little uh, uh, about Argentina as I do, I think those are things that the film makes legible. So, so I suppose whenever there was a, a military coup in South America in that era, the US had something to do with it. Yes, Eduardo Galeano wrote a wonderful book called The Open Veins of Latin America, arguing that, you know, that mm. basically kind of, you know, Latin America was bleeding and, you know, it was North America that was wielding the razor, <laughs> you know, the U.S. in particular. So, um, so anyway, I think this is a very, I mean, it's a very interesting film that gives you a lot to think about. I don't think it's quite good enough, you know? Well, you know, as, as interesting as the chat has been, and I think it really has been, I, I still was so bored. Right. Like I think it's um, yeah. In in terms of a kind of narrative drive, um, in terms of really interesting characters, mm. I think it's really weak. Mm. Um, it is the themes that it is built upon that are interesting, yes. and it does interesting things with those themes. Yes, but still, I kind of, I kind of I couldn't tell you that in the moment to moment. I was interested in what was happening. Yes. With the exception of the of the opening when it was setting up the kind of um, setting up the drama, you know, particularly that uh, that um, restaurant scene at the yes. start and everything that went on up, up until the guy up until he leaves him basically, and then you get the the title of the film Rocco shows up. Like, yes. Everything pre that very was very interesting, but after that, 
I, I lost interest in the just in the moment, you know. Yeah, no, I was interested throughout, you know. But it was very interesting because I was showing a Lubitsch film, kind of this morning, and you know, like the thing with Lubitsch is everything he does is with the intent to delight, you know. So you know, a choice of shot, a piece of language, a camera move, right? It's always like inventive, imaginative. It's meant to like please the audience, right? Or kind of keep, yeah? Mm. So, I mean, never to detract from the themes or whatever, but yeah, kind yeah. of to make you see it in a special way. Uh, and the thing about this film is that it makes almost no concessions that, you know, that in fact an audience is there, <laughs> yeah? That kind of you need to give them a joke, a, you know, a bit of suspense, some tenser moments, something that's at stake, you know, for the characters, right? Because actually... You know, even at the moment where um, the hippie threatens to shoot him, it's not quite tense enough, right? And that's like no. the tensest moment. And probably even when the guy says, we've brought this detective in, you know, and then the whole thing, it charges up again, of, oh, this is going to come back and haunt him. It's still not tense enough. No, it's not. I mean, and that's it. You know, you have... And actually, the whole detective investigation also happens off screen, right? Well, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, you I, know. I think it would be, I think it is incorrect to consider the film a murder mystery, though. Like, I mean, it's, there's no mystery. We know what happened. We know. And the, and the tension around, well, I suppose there, sh- there could be more tension, as I say, around um, the detective story. But actually, how the detective learns what he learns isn't really the interesting I think part. as soon as you introduce the detective, you have to show us the machination. So if you watch Columbo... Often you see the murder right at the beginning, you know who did it, mm. you know, and the rest of the, the narrative is just about proving it, right, or trapping the person into, yeah. yeah. Um, so you bring a detective here who is, who is the second most important character in the whole film, played by the only other name I recognize, uh, and, you know... Yeah, I get what you mean, uh, but I think, I think the way the, the, way the de- detective is used is, is in relation to the lawyer. So, like, the way that... Because when, when the detective at the very end says to the lawyer, as you say, how can you not have realised that people would remember this argument? Mm. The, I think the thing is, by the time he meets the lawyer, I think, you, I think you kind of have to have the impression... This is the impression, at least, I had, that he already knows something. Mm. I know, know, but... And actually, in the interactions with the lawyer, he's playing with him to a degree. All those scenes are very weak. Yeah, they are. But, says... I, but I think the point is <clears throat> the investigation has pretty much been done by this point. I know, but 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 you could have used it in such a way that it would add tension, I agree. or mystery, or suspense. There's none of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and some of it just feels banal. So when he comes in and says, "I want you to drive me to the desert," and the guy just says, "Okay," you know, and you think, like, you know, if I'm a busy lawyer and I'm a big shot in town, you go, "Fuck you!" What kind of a person is you? Know, what am <laughs> I? Your private chauffeur? Right, like you know, the, yeah. but then I mean, also that drive to the desert, like he has, he goes, okay, we're going to drive to the desert. The desert being where he dumped this body, and this is where the guys kind of take him out to for this reason, um, to have this, in a sense, showdown. Mm. Um, and the lawyer gets a gun, puts it in his pocket, so that should be extra tension. And you compare like the drive to the desert in this to the drive to the desert at the end of Seven, for instance. Yes, you know, I mean, the te- the difference in tension is just off the scale. Yes, you know, so so. So I think it's kind of, it's a rich film, but actually it's not, you know, with, with, with very interesting visuals, that's not yet narratively and dramatically skilled enough, really, to make the most out of what it's working with. That's the way I would characterize it. Yeah, I think that's fair. But nonetheless, raises a lot of interesting 
questions and has a lot of food for thought. Yes, certainly anybody here who's interested in, you know, Latin American culture in general or, uh, you know, Argentinian culture in particular, uh, you know, it's, I would highly recommend that they, that they see it. And mm. it's kind of uh, worth a visit for them. What do you think about the title? Why is it called Red? Rojo. Well, I thought maybe because of the desert, you know, because of the killings, of the blood, mm. and also because a lot of the people who were killed or disappeared or whatever are Red Wings. So when they go into the house, I don't know if you noticed, but they've taken almost everything, but there are still books on the shelf. Right. Right. And it was like, I don't know, something in the USSR. I mean, it was clearly a family that had been left wing, okay. right? And also you heard that somebody, you know, uh, was working w or the, the wife of the, you know, a family had disappeared and it was partly because the wife was a lawyer who was involved with the unions, mm. right? So I, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it has any connection to that, but that is a running theme in the film, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. So again, you know, kind of... Uh, a very rich film in many ways that isn't fully realized, but that nonetheless we recommend to people who have a particular interest in Latin American culture. I think very fair assessment. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies. And we are on. iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much Bye -bye. for listening.